Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Life matters, it's strange in the sound of my people and what's sadder. 
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, at KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the web at kpoo.com. Um, we are going to spend the rest of the hour continuing to commemorate and pay tribute to Paul Red, also known as PR Comrade Mume. Um, there have been many, what I'm calling, songs to his life uh, that have been coming through from the brothers who he um, had to leave behind, although only in body did he uh, leave them behind because he continued to do the work out here and stay connected to his brothers that um, were part of the California, the historic California hunger strikes um, uh, they unfortunately spending decades in the torture of solitary confinement up in Pelican Bay and Corcoran State Prisons. And, um, so there is much love, uh, being shown him, um, since his transition to the ancestors last Sunday, June 19th of 2022, Father's Day, and also, um, uh, Juneteenth. So we are going to con uh, continue this tribute, and I hope that you will stay with me because it's incredibly important that we uh, shine the light on these incredible new African freedom fighters who continue to fight uh, for their liberation and uh, for, um, <clears throat> and it's on us to make sure that they are acknowledged and not buried and not disappeared. So uh, please stay with me, and I hope that you will feel um, the, you know, just be empowered and inspired by what these men have done and what they continue to do and why it is so important to be a part of uh, making sure that we get them free as they are now elders and we need them home and not to die in prison. All right, we are going to get started. All right, uh, we have published this tribute in the, um, the for the July issue of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. And the title of the, the article that pays this tribute is called Songs of Tribute to Paul Red, Home with the Ancestors. So here is the first tribute all of them um we don't have audio for all of them but we do have um we do have this one from joka hashima jinsai here's the first song greetings sisters and brothers our chosen lifestyle as new African revolutionary nationalists is one that is a total commitment a dedication to purpose that transcends all others and is quite literally the future of humankind our comrade mumay embodied this commitment for the entirety of his adult life he was a teacher to those who did not know who they were. He was an advocate for those subjected to injustice. He was a brother to us all and a servant of the people in the noblest sense of the word. He was my comrade and my brother. Though we only communicated seldomly, those communications were significant and empowering. He was an inspiration to all, having endured decades of torture. Rather than renounce his dedication to the people, this commitment to making this world a more just and equal place. Though this world is diminished by his passing, we are all empowered by the impact he left on our lives. We honor him, not by what we say, but by what we do, 
to make a meaningful contribution to moving this world of injustice and hate closer to one where the light of freedom, justice, and equality shines down on all humanity like a star in the night. Rage on into immortality, Mumei. Rage on. Gorilla love. Here's song number two. This is Brother Balagoon Kambon Muhammad. I speak to you guys today on behalf of a friend, a comrade, a brother. A fearless lion was laid down to rest. A royal falcon of Haros has taken another righteous soul into the radiance of the heavens. A soul that now sits in the sacred circle of the ancestors. The passing of Comrade Paul Red is a great loss to us all, as a nation and as new African people that this brother brought light and greatness to the struggle, not solely by those of us that continue to carry on the legacy of those who have gone before us. He lived his life as an example of his message of unity, consolidation, and group operation, a bona fide warrior and new African in service to the people. He struggled with strength, dignity, and determination for over 47 years behind the walls to continue the work, and to him, like those who came before him, he encouraged, urged people of noble African genotype to end all petty grudges and negative approaches to our problems. He taught honor and respect to so-called thugs and hood niggas and showed them how to respect and give concern for each other in such a way, thereby the world would come to respect and honor them. He also taught them to be young lions and soldiers for all seasons. I was one of those young soldiers that he taught. And I was one of those young warriors that had grown with the example that he gave me. I stand now as an eternal witness to the teachings that this brother imparted to me, the political education. He taught me to refuse. He showed and taught me how to stand and not bend, buck, or bow before the murderers who held us captive in America's concentration camps. But they all said Paul Red turned his time and energy towards supporting socio-political, cultural, and nationalist movements behind these walls and beyond these walls. And there came a space and time that like-minded warriors who spoke of our special truth and subscribed to the principles of our culture as new Africans. This noble son of Africa who lifted up the light of truth by the Honorable Marcus Garvey and other revolutionary fighters before him made the supreme sacrifice of righteousness, decency, and respect even after transcending the bounds and limits of his confinement. This brother will always be remembered. He will always be loved. He will always be cherished. And he will always be credited for the many, many wonderful things he did both behind these walls and beyond these walls. He pushed on with dedication, discipline, sacrifice. Not only in a way that reaffirms our tradition of struggle, but in a way that drew a clear line of distinction between us as revolutionary humanists and them as racist conformists. He made clear that our opponents could not be our advisors, nor the selectors in this sacred struggle for our survival in this world. In the tradition of all true revolutionary humanists, he posed and pursued a new paradigm of humanity and transcended these walls returning to society to be a great help, a great spokesman, a great example. We will always remember this brother. We will always miss this brother. But we will always have in our minds, our hearts, and our souls an example. This brother, his spirit lives forever. I'm Brother Balagoon Cambon, a brother and a friend. Okay, one thing that I must always say 
and share with all of you is what an incredible privilege and honor and real blessing to be able to be to talk with these these men and who are now my brothers and my family and my loved ones and to be able to um, receive phone calls from them under just staying in, in connection with one another but then also to be in that intimate space of um, sharing this loss and being able to be uh, in a position to make sure that their voices are heard around the love and that they have for their comrade, their brother, their friend. And in this case, it's Paul Red Mume. So here is another song uh, from Ifuma, Modibo Cambon. We know you've been our spirit in our fight. Paul knew that. You know, T2 knew that. We all know that and felt your fight in us. You know, all we want to do is live as men, but he tried to make all of us into monsters. But when he got out, it was a blessing because he told everybody we wasn't monsters. You know, he told them how they did us. Uh, and then y'all discovered him yourself. He's not no monster. He's another care, compassionate human being. That's who he is. You know, and what pisses me kind of off that he calls out, and they let us out when we, we, we elderly men now, right? And he goes out and to experience uh, his spiritual transition. But I know he's in a better place. Free of all the BS, all the pain, all his struggles, right? And he, and he, and he passed amidst all his friends who really loved him, you know? So I was trying to think, that the hell? I get choked up, and so we, and I know he appreciated all of y'all. Well, one of the communities brothers left. And then even see a, 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 a shot, the brother Shaka, mm. who passed in seven, he passed in, a, a, in April 23rd, the same day my brother passed. And so it's been a season of storms, you mm. know. I mean, it really a season of storms that uh, they've been letting us out. And then all you people experience is uh, a spiritual but it's a good thing he was able to experience all of y'all's love and care. You know, and all of y'all's support that y'all had his back. And then with y'all, y'all made him feel safe, you know. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And then the brother see Tom, we can't forget him, you know. And, and uh, you speak for all of us. He rest in peace and power and now, you know, like... No more worries. No more have to struggle. So he would, and so I think when we remember his good, right, he helps us heal. You know, and and he would never die because in our hearts, that's where his spirit lies. So it's a time always to mourn, to grieve, to be sad. But in time.
not that then when we remember his memory, that brought life alive, and we smile and continue to fight. You know, we continue to fight because he went out fight. You know, he didn't. A lot of people went home and just forgot. He never forgot. You know, he never forgot us in here. You know, I've been knowing him since '77. He came in the shoe and Tracy, I think in '77. And so, how we met, really met, we go through, he came up with an idea to do a fundraiser to help another brother, Joe Mo, out on a, a, for a lawyer. And it was his idea, and he always did our act, our voice, you know, the activist. He always did legal stuff. He knew, hey, he did our paralegal. You know, trying to always fight for us to come home. Him and Mata, you know. And so, hey, it's just like with his love. I feel lost. His love. Uh, he done touched a whole lot of people out there. And in here. But still, but still, and we sing his praise as as PR. We sing his praise. You know, in life. And in the spiritual transition, because dad, he's with the ancestors now. You know, he's with the ancestors. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You know, but we can't stop, won't stop. We got to keep pushing no matter what obstacle and adversity face. You know, I mean, we got, we got our tears. They come and go, but they signs of rebirth to me. Yes, Brother Afuma, we are going to continue to tell Paul's story. So here's the next song from Satawa Nantambu Jama'a. We lost one of the good ones. Paul's been doing so much positive since he's been out in this short time. He leaves a legacy that will never be forgotten. What he did for the struggle and for the interest of other people. It kind of tore me up when I heard about it because I had just talked to him. Couldn't have been a week. I just talked to him before he passed. He was talking about going to look at those 602s and say, there's a better way. Send them to me so that I can give you my perspective. I was getting them sent um, out to him, but he passed before all that transpired. That's something that I have. I cherish his opinion. I always have. So it kind of hit me in a different way, you know? And this from Jaleel Muntakin. Paul Red's passing is heartfelt for many as he was a staunch advocate of black love and solidarity. His dedication and commitment to freedom of himself and other prisoners made him a target of the state and thereby a political prisoner. I spent prison time with Paul and Tracy and San Quentin and know of his years of selfless service in the black guerrilla family. As a soldier for the liberation of his people, he will be sorely missed in the field of battle opposing white supremacy and the tyranny of capitalism imperialism. Paul, I salute you. All right, we are going to take a musical break and then continue with more songs of tribute to Paul Redd.
right, if you are just joining us, you are listening to Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown, here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and you may be listening on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. We are um, in our second week of paying tribute to Paul Redd, new African freedom fighter, survivor of decades of of the torture of solitary confinement, signer to the agreement to end hostilities. Um, And as you will hear, we are continuing to hear from his new African brothers, comrades, friends, loved ones um, about his transition uh, to the ancestors uh, last week, June 19th. Um, and, uh, yes, and a California, an historic California hunger striker organizer of those strikes that ended indefinite solitary confinement and got them released again from the decades of torture of solitary confinement that was intended to break them. And Paul Red will be counted among uh, the unbroken. All right, so we are going to continue with what we are calling um, Songs of Tribute uh, from his brother's comrades, friends. And we are going to hear now from New African JB. Firm revolutionary embrace to the family and friends of Paul Mume Red. I met our good brother Mume some 37 years ago in the old Folsom Law Library and was taught the unique guerrilla law fighting style of combating America's colonial Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence laws, courts, and litigation. We eventually found ourselves caught up in the whirlwind of California's prison boom and indefinite solitary confinement. It was here that we would spend decades fighting our release from Shu and to return home. We honor and salute you, comrade. Clenched fist of solidarity, New African JB. And this song. Revolutionary Greetings. It's with extreme respect that I extend my love and regards to a strong brother, PR, who always demonstrated his profound love for our new African population, both in this country and abroad. The PR is and was one of our brightest stars and will always be in my revolutionary heart. Our ancestors have him now, so he's in good spirits. Rest comfortably, Mume. Ubuntu Sasa, KD. All right, song number seven. A salute to my brother comrade Paul P.R. Red Mume, whom I met back in 2014 at Sadef after successfully hunger striking, 2011 to 2013. He was finally released from long-term solitary confinement torture dungeon at PBSP SHU. Immediately upon meeting P.R., along with other released new African freedom fighters, Ifuma and Abasi, My education and learning from them was a blessing. Mume shared his knowledge, wisdom, and understanding with me regularly. I am forever grateful. In struggle, BT. More songs of tribute. We could spend a lot of time in search of that friend with whom you have no second thoughts or recriminations about that friendship that never grows cold with the passage of time. That friendship where neither takes advantage of the other's special uniqueness that person who understands that in order to have that type of friend, you must first be one. Paul Red was indeed that. Can't stop, won't stop. Kubwajitu modibo kambon. And this 
Paul, PR, my brother Abbas, the animal BW. For 50 years you stood in the storm, while the convenience of excuse is the fair weather traveler's compass. Your lighthouse was the sacred trust forged in the whirlwind. Rest in power, comrade. Your example will be forever in the dragon's book of life. Can't stop, won't stop. Black August Collective. And here is our concluding song from Emwalimo Shakur. Only for now, though. As we know, there are more to come. Well, Paul Rand is he's irreplaceable. You know, he's a gifted, prolific, uh, legal beagle, strong-minded brother. You know, he, he was with the struggle. He had love for his people. You know, his gifts and talents he left behind is uh, something that I can always utilize. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. You know, in my own repertoire, you know, he's uh, somebody who was compassionate. You know, he was somebody who always had time to give you something that you needed as far as learning about your people and uh, learning about the struggle. You know, his, his, his story is remarkable. He's like, you know, he comes from a time in the 70s when we chose to do you know, the wrong things as far as like selling drugs or even using drugs or pimping and hustling in that way. But, you know, when you become a new man, you know, you change your mind and you grow and develop into being just that. And you know, you, you realize that you have a purpose now. So you live by example. And he has left a legacy behind that will hopefully continue to be implemented in others who know him, you know, like I will, you know. And uh, yeah, he'll be terribly missed. That's correct. Paul Red Mume, PR, is going to be terribly missed, but we are going to keep the light of his incredible spirit bright in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, and in our actions as we move forward uh, with the inspiration um, and legacy of an incredible example of how to live a principled life. Um, from from him. So I am going to read a couple of articles. Um, this is an interview uh, that was done uh, by Sharon Martinez, who is one of the incredible supporters, supporters, comrades out here for these new African brothers. And back in 2013, she did an interview that was published in the Bayview, the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. And um, I would like to read that article now, and I'm, probably, and I'm going to read a couple more moving forward um, if we have time. The title of the article is Paul Red, Prisoners Unite, Community Stand With Us. Interview by Sharon Martinez. Legendary jailhouse lawyer Paul Red speaks out at this critical time from the Pelican Bay shoe. Mind you, they are fighting to get free after having spent decades in the torture of solitary confinement. Um, uh, the, they identify themselves with a Q for Sharon and an M for, in this case, Mume. What is your Q, Sharon Martinez? What is your name? M. Mume. My name is Paul Red. However, many friends and comrades call me PR, Mume, or Abbas. Q. May I call you Mume? M. Of course you may. Q. 
Mume, you're one of the 16 representatives of the 2011 Pelican Bay State Prison Shoe hunger strikes in July and September. M. Yes, I am. Q. You also signed the August 12, 2012 Agreement to End Hostilities Between Racial Groups. M. Yes, I did. Q. Let me travel back in time with some questions. M. By all means. Q. Where did you grow up? M. I was born and raised in Oakland, California. I'm going to have to go. Um, Sharon, <laughs> how are you in prison? And how long have you been in prison, including the shoe? Mume, I was convicted in 1976 of first-degree murder for the death of a local drug dealer in San Francisco. I am serving a seven-years-to-life sentence with possibility of parole. I've been in prison now over 36 years. Mind you, this was in 2013. And 33 of those years have been spent in various shoes. I've spent 25 years minus a couple of months in Pelican Bay Supermax shoe. Sharon, Mume, you said you were sentenced to seven years to life with the possibility of parole. What does that mean? Mume, it means that I was eligible to be paroled, released from prison any time after December 21st, 1982, which was seven years. Yet the parole board continues to find me, quote, unsuitable for a parole date, unquote, because of my commitment offense and my shoe status. Historically, the parole board has never found a prisoner in the shoe serving a life sentence with possibility of parole suitable for a parole release date, in spite of the fact that many of us have met the criteria to be paroled. Sharon, how about others in the shoe who are not serving a life sentence with a parole release date? Mume, here is a clear illustration of an arbitrary unwritten policy. For example, prisoner A is a non-lifer in the shoe serving an indeterminate shoe term for, quote, validation as a gang member only. When his parole date arrives, he is paroled from the shoe back into the community. Pr prisoner B is a lifer eligible for parole date in the shoes serving an indeterminate shoe term for validation as a gang member only. He is not given a parole release date, the only difference being the two prisoners. One has a parole release date, the other one does not. Sharon, how have you grown as such an intelligent, highly skilled human being that prison officials, the IGI, Institutional Gang Investigators, decided that your voice needs to be silenced behind the pit of hell concrete walls of PBSP Supermax for so many decades? Why have you been separated from your community and from other incarcerated people with similar aspirations and visionary plans? Mume, you asked a two-part question. My growth is owed to many direct and indirect experiences in my life prior to prison and while in prison. When I came into the prison system in 1976 to DVI, Dual Vocational Institution in Tracy, California, I felt the need to be a part of something to bring about positive changes to benefit the black prisoner population. I started by using what little outside influence I had with friends to bring live entertainment shows inside the prison. At the same time, I met other positive brothers educating others about our history and culture, including teaching reading and writing. They shared books with me that really opened my eyes, exposing the blatant institutional racism from the administration, top to bottom. I also called upon other prisoners to join me in donating a few dollars each to raise funds to purchase a large amount of canteen to send into the SHU, MCU, 
to be shared among all black prisoners housed there. It was important to those brothers living under those inhumane conditions to know that there were brothers out there in general population that were going to look out for them. I saw other prisoners contesting these conditions, and it was a natural thing for me to, to join the fight, to join that fight. That was the way I was raised, although my life took a different path. Prison brought me back to those natural things I saw as a kid growing up in West Oakland in the 60s. I began feeling prison grievances, reading law books, and finding myself wrongfully being placed in the shoe based entirely on manufactured accusations by certain prison officials just to remove me from the general population to stop the positive things I was doing. While in the shoe, I joined major class action lawsuits, continued to file grievances, and assisted other prisoners with filing documents. Some prisoners would call me a legal beagle, a jailhouse lawyer, the people's lawyer. I was far from developing my skills, my legal skills back then. Anyway, many prison officials over the years and even today have called me a troublemaker, a thorn in their side, an agitator. I welcome with a smile what CDCR officials call me. But two things they can never call me are one, a liar, or two, someone who embellishes the facts. When prisoners speak out and stand up to challenge acts of injustice that prove to be an embarrassment to CDCR officials, the officials retaliate by placing you in a shoe on bogus accusations or charges in an attempt to discredit us. This is the case today behind the pit of hell concrete walls. But thanks to the United Hunger Strikes, our voices are being heard and our undisputed truths revealed, causing greater embarrassment to the CDCR. CDCR officials from Sacramento down to the prison grounds have always known that prisoners hold the solutions to solving prison conditions entirely. They fear us prisoners who have the ability to use our positive, conscious minds to unite prisoners in a peaceful, nonviolent movement to eradicate repressive conditions and arbitrary, discriminatory policies and regulations. Sharon, what are your hopes now in this time and in the near future? Mume, my hopes are many, but my immediate hopes are as follows. One. Establish a campaign calling on all African prisoners in the California prisons, general population, shoes, and ASUs to unite together as one voice to help reduce and end the senseless black-on-black -black killings and violence in our neighborhoods, using our unity to help rebuild our families, foundations, and neighborhoods. We, as a proud African race with a history, can solve our own problems without any involvement from law enforcement. I want to start bringing all the African prisoners from the Bay Area to join this unity movement through a creative Bay Area workshop. The success of this workshop will be, set, will be to set up all over the major urban cities from up north to Southern California, committed to rebuilding our families and neighborhoods. Two, unite all the California prisoners in the general population as addressed through our call, Agreement to End Hostilities Between Races, reaching mutual common ground in order to focus on the bigger picture to better our conditions for pushing for greater changes, from CDCR regulations to parole board composition and decisions, and more importantly, rebuild our communities through our united efforts. Three, unite serious, committed jailhouse lawyers behind the walls as a power think tank in addressing issues affecting the class of prisoners and working with outside legal aid clinics, law firms, and attorneys. This is a vision I have had for a long time. My attempt to create such a think tank was disrupted by prison officials who implemented new policies to prevent me and other jailhouse lawyers in Pelican Bay Shoe from communicating with other 
jailhouse lawyers within the shoe and outside of the shoe. I was recently reading a book you sent me called Jailhouse Lawyers by Brother Mumia Abu-Jamal, and he said something very similar, reminding me just how important it is for us to build this JHL movement and connect ourselves to the outside. Let me close by paraphrasing Bro Mumia's words. Jailhouse lawyers must look beyond the state's imprisoning bars, bricks and cement to build relationships with others in the so-called free world to further and support social movements that spread liberating and progressive space within society. These words are relevant today and equally applicable to our call for greater unity. We behind the concrete walls start this new progressive movement but we need the outside support of our communities to stand with us. Thank you all. I can be contacted at the address below, which of course is not the case. Building Social Change in Solidarity, Mume. This is a note from Sharon Martinez, the interviewer and supporter. Mume and I have been pen pals since the summer of 2012. Mume is one of the representatives housed in Pelican Bay State Prison's shoe in the short corridor. I am a member of the Prisoner, Human, the Prisoner Hunger Strike Solidarity Coalition, PHSS, and a coordinator of PHSS's Human Rights Pen Pal Program. We agreed that Mume would also write the interview questions, since he knows what he wants to share about his life, his beliefs, and his visions for a better world. And unfortunately, the human rights pen pal is um, no longer in existence. Um, but I am going to put a call out right now, which I didn't, hadn't come to me before. Um, that was an incredible program. And if anybody has any inclination to inquire about how to restart the human rights pen pals program and is interested uh, please get in touch with me at newbay at sfbayview.com. All right, we are actually going to hear the voice of Paul Red, um, and you will also hear a little bit from Kubwaji, too. I did an interview with them, and as time would have it, turns out I did this interview with them on June 19th of 2021. And what we are celebrating is... Paul's transition one year later, uh, transitioning to the ancestors. So here we go. Uh, we are going to finish up our this hour um, with the voice of Paul Red, Mume, and Comrade. My name is Paul Red. Most people know me by PR. I'm uh, more. Um, and, you know, spent most of my time in prison, you know, close 46 years, 30-something uh, in the solitary confinement at Pelican Bay. Um, I was one of the 16 supporters of the hunger strike uh, and the hostility as well, you know? Yes. And, uh, in, in May of, uh, of 20, uh, 21-20, uh, uh, May yeah May twenty first uh, I was finally released it, uh, from prison from Backville Prison on the eleven seventy. And we welcome you home, 
PR, we are so glad that you are here with us today. And Ruben G2 Williams, please um, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is uh, Ruben Williams, and those who know me call me Kubwa G2. I, too, spent a total of 44 years in uh, prison, uh, with 36 of it total in SHU units. The last 26 years in Pelican Bay, uh, uh, due to uh, the activities that took place in the hunger strikes uh, during the uh, middle of the 2000s, uh, I was one of the individuals who was first released to the general population. And about four years after that, I was released uh, to back to Babylon. So I'm here today in discussion with a good friend of mine, newbie. You know. All so. right. I would love for you to share your thoughts on what what was taking place back then uh, first, and then let's just go with that. What was taking place? Where were y'all at? What were you, what was your thought processes um, when we're talking uh, uh, July 1st, 2011? Um, and go well, ahead, me, um, who would like to go first? Me, Kuba G2 here. Uh, my thoughts were on, would, we, would, would, would many of us survive that hunger strike because a lot of us had dedicated ourselves to the length of time that we were going to do. And, uh, and, 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 and looking at the history of, of hunger strikes, you know, it's, we began to realize how much time we had before the system shut down and we began to learn what we were up against and yet still we most, not most, but quite a few of us was willing to take that, that challenge. So my thought going through my mind as we proceeded was, uh, how far could I push myself to continue this struggle if they stood up and tried to fight back harder than we fought forward? Mm. And for me, PR, uh, I knew uh, in order to do this hunger strike that we was putting our life on the line and we was going to make a big sacrifice, but we knew if we'd done this, it'd have to have a serious impact on the system to where uh, they would uh, concede and give in to our five core demands. Um, at the time of the hunger strike, I didn't even consider my health problems uh, that I was having at that time. But I knew this was something that we had to do if we wanted to change uh, the system that we knew that was a torturous, barbaric, and everything else you can think of. You know, they took a lot of what we was doing as a joke. You know, we went from year, uh, a yearly review to a six-year review. And it was constantly being based on erroneous confidential information that kept us within the, uh, uh, the shoe part, you know? Do you, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that, about the... Uh about the confidential information and uh, a little bit about the parole snitch or die uh, environment that you were being placed under because that's a form of torture as well, I think. Do well, have... I mean, we were placed under that long before even the hunger strike mm -hmm. uh, was organized. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like, like G2 said, and I say, we have been in the shoe long before that and we was being uh, health in the shoe based on the fact that if we wanted to get out the shoe, 
we had to become a state agent and debrief. All of them was military terms that CDC officials them brought out of the military and tried to incorporate that in CDC environment. Uh, you know, and it's like, you know, you snitch, die, to get out the hole. And, and that was the norm. You know, they didn't even have a policy, a debriefing policy, even though they lied and said they had one. But when they was challenged to produce the documents, didn't know a document exists to substantiate their claim, you know? Mm-hmm. And even upon the time when, when the debriefing process actually came to light, people didn't really realize how many years they had been using that on us. And, and, and literally, uh, and, and, and I think Paul Red here is one of the individuals that initially tried to get them to put that word on record. And any time they got to talking like that, they would shut off any recordings they had, and they would tell you, well, here's what you can do if you want to get out. So you had you had people being debriefed, I mean, years uh, up until the day they made it legitimate to where they could actually say this term and have some legal foundation to stand on with it. But it, we, we have been facing that for, what, maybe a dozen years? Man, you know? if not longer. You know, because everything the CDC was doing was underground policies. And that's why it was important. You know, and they took a lot of this, what we was doing, as a joke. Because like, like G2, G2 said, they was trying to see how far we would go. And as we shown that we willing to go all the way to the end, they still took it as a joke. Because in the past, you had other little hunger strikes it didn't last, so they figured that this is not going to last. But once, uh, you know, CDC made the biggest mistake because they thought it was a joke. So, you know, they kept threatening us, well, we're going we gonna to take y'all TVs from y'all. And a lot of them say, hey, come on, take it. You can get mine right now. Just unplug it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So they're like, why Why you want to unplug your TV? Uh-huh. Well, if I unplug my TV and I have nothing to look at, then I think more about what I'm going to do about it against you, yeah. you know? And they said, well, that's what we thought. So the union went to Sacramento and said, no, leave these guys TVs in their cells. So the next thing they thought they was going to come up with this move, they're going to put us all in the short quarter. That was one of the brightest ideas I thought they ever came up with. Because if they put you all in the short quarter, now you're able to communicate better. So that's how we were successful in continuing the hunger strike to where we end up doing that third when it got 30,000 prisoners to support us. I asked Paul and G2 how they got the other prisoners to participate in these hunger strikes. Very simple. You relied on the facts. People got tired of continued being held in this shoe based on erroneous information, based on because you read certain books that had certain uh, political uh, newspapers, etc. in your cell, they was fine. People said enough was enough. So when they got to the point where we weren't accepting that, people say, hey, man, I'm willing to do that hunger strike. And that was across the board of all races. Because mm-hmm. people start, you know, realizing that loved ones 
on the on the outside world was dying. Uh, there, those who had kids, their kids was growing up uh, where they could find it up here in Crescent City, in the boondocks, so to speak, that uh, they couldn't get visits. So uh, people decided, hey, we need to do this unconstructed, and we got a good, legit reason for doing it. If we want to sit up here, we're going to die in here anyway, so let's die making a political stance. Because it seemed like we weren't going to never get out of prison. Hmm. Our, our politics was mature. So when we was able to talk because of the structure of uh, Pelican Bay, uh, the sections, you you don't have to talk in a large audience. There's only uh, eight sales per section. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to communicate with, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 people in your section over the tier. Even those who may have just came in the hole, only been there for a year, two years. But you'd be able to share your experience and a lot of them was like shocked when they hear our stories about how long we've been in a hole. And when we explained and showed them what for, that even frustrated them because they realized, hey, I'm going to be like this too. So if there's a cause of action that needs to be taken, then let me get on this fight too. And then I asked if they knew why Pelican Bay State Prison security housing units had been built and why they had been brought there. Because it wasn't until in the late uh, 90s that a private investigator named Tom Quinn, who worked for the attorney uh, Catherine Campbell, he wrote a, a confidential document that was quite a few pages doing his investigation. He found out that there were secret secret meetings with officials who was told that they had a certain amount of money, and they used the funds to contact uh, architects to come up with this design. They wanted a prison to be designed that would destroy uh, prisoners mentally, uh, physically, etc. They wanted to, what they said, they was going to lock up the worst of the worst. Pelican Bay was designed, well, it was designed to hold more than uh, the 1,200 that it was for. But they were saying that they was going to put 500 of the most dangerous prisoners in Pelican Bay. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it turned out. Uh, it was more than 500, but it wasn't as dangerous because they was putting people up here who was in wheelchairs, who didn't have legs and arms, except as a, a scare tactic to scare them. Uh, there may have been uh, filing complaints in some of these other prisoners. Mm. Uh, but anyway, this whole report shared a whole light by Pelican Bay was being designed uh, the politicians that was behind uh, getting the money approved, uh, how certain uh, architects and certain politicians benefit from uh, finding who is going to be able to uh, get the, the, the contract uh, for building this prison that's going to be 
far more far worse than the one that was built in Arizona that was supposed to be used as a model. All right, that was just a small excerpt of um, an over-hour-long conversation that I had with Paul Red and Kubwaji too. Understand that many of these men, most of these men that were these new African freedom fighters are still behind walls, are still suffering shoe-like conditions, are still unfree. They are becoming elders. They are suffering, um, uh, you know, advanced medical conditions, and we need to get them home. In the spirit of Paul Red, we need to get them home and continue the work that those that have been able to come out continue to reach back and do what they can to alleviate their circumstances or do what they can to push forward for their release. We need to do that as a community out here together. The hunger strikes happened, but those men that that did that work are dying in prison because they have not been released from prison. We need to get them home. There are so many names. Many of them that you heard on um, earlier in the, in the tributes, the songs. We want them home. So that is our show. I do, I continue to encourage you to please um, read the history, understand that this is still taking place, and we will not allow these, these men to be uh, disappeared. Their families are needing them to come home. Go to www.prisons.org. That's the California Prison Focus website, and you can read the archived newspapers there. Go to www.sfbayview.com and read the archived um, of the of this history of these hunger strikes there as well, and especially in light of what is taking place in this socio-political climate. We have to stand with the people who are standing in resistance to these crimes against humanity. The last thing that I want to say is there is a bill being put forth, ACA 3, uh, to end legal slavery in California, being put forth, and we hope that it is going to be getting to the ballot. Um, it is being uh, put to the floor once again this week. Uh, it was rejected last week, so stay tuned. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.